0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe.
1: The NBA and college basketball are back. The NFL and college football playoffs are right around the corner. With all these sports going on, there are plenty of bets to lock in. So if you're thinking about picking the Lakers to repeat their NBA championship or someone to upset Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs, you need to go to betonline.ag. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always the online casinos as well. It never closes. So head to BetOnline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's BetOnline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. So today I have a very special guest. He is a figure skating legend and 1988 Olympic gold medalist. I'm talking to Brian Boitano. Brian, thank you so much for coming on today.
0: Hey, I can't wait to talk with you.
1: (laughs) When did you first start skating? What age?
0: I was eight years old and I started at, well, you know, when I was six, I started roller skating on the driveway in... Sunnyvale. It was very near where you went to high school at Mitty. My sisters went to Mitty.
1: Oh, cool.
0: Um, yeah. And my brother went to Bellarmine. So we were in that neighborhood. We still actually have that house. It's by, right by right by the Apple campus where it is now. So like literally blocks from there. We had, you know, just this, we, we were in a track, track home and the, the driveways were all connected to the sidewalks. And I just used to roller skate, roller skate, roller skate. Like I just, that's all I wanted to do is just roller skate all day long. And like, it would get dark and my mom would call me in and I'd be like, no, I don't want to get in. You know, I, I would just always put on music in on our, like, you know, uh, stereo in the house and I put on music and I would be on the driveway doing programs. I didn't even know what that meant then, you know, <clears throat> but I was skating to music and then, um, my mom mm-hmm. took me to it was do you remember the ice follies? Or you remember the name Ice Follies? Yeah. They had Ice Cades and Ice Follies. Mm-hmm. Ice Follies was this like glam show that had, you know, amazing, you know, talent and pair teams. And she brought me to San Francisco to see the ice follies. And I was probably seven and a half years old and I remember where we were sitting, I remember what I was seeing. And I'm like, this is what I wanna do for the rest of my life. So <laughs> I went, you know, went home and I was playing baseball at the time. My dad was the coach of the baseball team because <laughs> he was a semi-pro ball player in San Jose uh, for San Jose State. And um, so I said, I wanna, I wanna go ice skating. So he took me ice skating and that was it. I was like, I was, I was hooked.
1: That's so awesome. Wow. Yeah. From literally just the road to the ice. Yeah, it's that's right. Unique. I like that. <laughs>
0: I think it is. I mean, and I was, you know, it was funny because as a roller skater, I was doing waltz jumps. I didn't even know what a waltz jump was. I'm like, I'm going to jump from front to backward, and I was doing spins and oh my gosh, things seven years old that I didn't even know. My when I, my mom said that my kindergarten teacher drove by or uh, rode her bike by and stopped and like was like, "Is that Brian? My God, you're so good." You know, it's like after I saw the ice. Ice Follies for, for the um, for the first time. I used to make billboards with um, chalk. Like I was I was starring with Peggy Fleming, and I would hang a billboard up on the driveway. Like you know, Brian Botano starring with Peggy Fleming in the Ice Follies. You know, and I would wear costumes, tie blankets around my neck, and pretend there were capes and stuff. I was <laughs> so into it. Oh
1: my god, that's so awesome! An early passion, basically.
0: <laughs> oh my, it was like a calling. It wasn't passion. It was like, you're gonna do this, you know, you're gonna do this.
1: So then you started working with Linda Lever, right? She you started with her and you finished Mm -hmm. your career with her. It's so impressive that you guys attained the dream of Olympic gold together. Uh talk about your relationship with Linda and never changing coaches from her.
0: Well, you know what? I um she discovered me in fifth level, I guess they would be ISI like, you know, classes now or whatever. Um, they, it was fifth level there and I was learning two foot spins. And each each week you would progress like from one to two to three and they had different coaches teaching each of the group lessons. And so uh, fifth class, I was trying to learn a two foot spin and Linda was teaching and she was like, and I kept falling cause I was trying to pull in so hard and I kept falling and falling. She's just, she's, she said to me, just stand up and I'll pass you to the sixth level. And so I did. And I went to sixth level. And that day that um, I passed the fifth level with Linda, she went and talked to my parents in the lobby of the ice rink in Sunnyvale. Cause there used to be ice skated at the Ice Palace in Sunnyvale um, off of Reed, Reed and Lawrence Expressway. They had a ice, ice skating rink there. And um, and she said i'd like to teach him private lessons and they said yeah so i started with linda the next week and i learned like all my single jumps in one public session and she's she went home to her husband and she said i just taught a boy who is going to be a world champion and her her husband said you say that about all your students <laughs> <laughs> like but i really mean it this time
1: <laughs> of course <laughs> that's so mm-hmm. cool wow
0: i was courted by other coaches that were really famous that really wanted to teach me as I was coming up the ranks. Um, and I, I was always, I mean, like at a young age, I'm I was always winning. Like, so I was like winning, winning, winning. And then that, then after you stop winning and you hit a roadblock and it's, you know, you're usually in your teens and you're like in seniors for the first time and you're not winning and you're like at the bottom of the pile. That's the only time that you start to kind of question, like, do I need to make a change? But I I always felt like whatever reason that I wasn't getting higher in competition at the lower parts of senior, like when I started, it was nothing that it was Linda's fault. You know, if I didn't perform well, it was my fault. Or if my compulsory figures weren't good enough, or if I two footed a triple flip in the long program, then it was my fault, you know, so I didn't ever hold her responsible for things that I thought were my fault.
1: That's awesome. I know a lot of kids and parents, they kind of jump coach to coach with whoever's winning at the time. And like you said, when you perform, it's not always a coach's fault. It's like your own adrenaline and nerves. And that's something that every skater has to go through. Uh, So it's really cool that you had that perspective of it not being the coach's fault, but in fact, something that you needed to work on.
0: She did a really smart thing too, Paulina. And I don't know, a lot of coaches don't have this kind of confidence. She would send me away during the summers to famous coaches to get their input. So one year I went to train with John Nix. One year I went to train uh, with Evie and Mary Scottvold. So she would send me away to get other advice on my skating. And that's a bold move. You know, like coaches would be like super threatened by that. You know, they're like, oh my God, they're going to steal my kid away. They're going to, you know, And, but I didn't, I took away the best of what I could learn from them. And, um, and, and then I, you know, really came back and I was like, it actually made me even more solid on knowing how much, how much Linda knew, you know what I mean? It confirmed what she knew because they were telling me like a lot of the same things that she was saying. So I'm like, well, she's saying the same stuff. They're not telling me anything that I haven't heard from Linda already.
1: That's so cool. Actually, funny story. It's super similar experience with me with uh, my coaching growing up because I took from David Glenn since I was four and then he brought me all the way to the top to the Olympics. But when I was younger, I went for a summer to several summers actually to Chicago to work with Sasha Fedeev. I also was consulting with Christy Ness up in Oakland, in Dublin. And uh, David also sent me down to Palm Springs Uh, to work with Frank, Carol. So yeah, so that was super cool. uh, Because same thing, I was hearing a lot of technical advice that was parallel to what David was teaching me. So it was it was really good because it gave me a fresh voice, somebody that I uh, looked up to for, you know, whatever short amount of time I was working with. Uh, But then I could come home and take everything with me and then feel completely comfortable and good with my relationship yeah. with david so that's awesome
0: <laughs> that's so interesting that you took from sasha fideev he was like my rival i mean like when he won the world title i was third my first year and he was so amazing his i don't know if you ever saw that performance of him in tokyo <laughs> worlds but he was just i was like i was third at worlds brian Orser was second and he was first and i'm like i don't know how i'm ever gonna catch this guy he was so good <laughs> literally so good um
1: but it would be interesting yeah. to know
0: because i didn't ever talk to him about technique or anything and it would be interesting to like take from him to just see what his techniques like or actually listen in on a on a on a lesson that he was giving
1: yeah he he gave me a lot of help with a uh, skid particularly on my double axle oh,
0: and then we great.
1: we worked on edges so i um or for my jumps so triple flip inside edge he had so many um exercises to like beat that into me and same thing outside edge for the lutz he had so many exercises for that i don't
0: i never remember you even having trouble with that kind of stuff though
1: yeah well it was like when i was first learning the triples back when i was like 12 13 yeah he had a lot of tiny tricks i was doing a lot of wally jumps and stuff like that um it was cool but he was he was definitely intimidating when i was younger because
0: he's quiet he's super quiet they usually when people are quiet yeah
1: (laughs) yeah and he's also just russian and so (laughs) but it was awesome to get uh different perspectives growing up for sure in coaching okay guys really quick i want to tell you about this awesome company i'm partnering with viome you can find out what foods and supplements are right for your body with their health intelligence test It looks at your gut microbiome health, your cellular health, immune system health, and more. I'm super excited. I just received my testing kit. It's super simple, and I can't wait to get my results back. Seriously encourage Angie's list is now Angie. And caring for your home just got easier. Whether you need help with routine maintenance or a dream remodel, Angie makes it easy to see reviews, compare quotes, and connect with top local pros who can get the job done right. Plus, you can see upfront pricing and instantly book hundreds of projects, no phone tag, just the work you need done at a time that works for you. Angie's got your to-do list covered from start to finish. Book your next home project today at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Urging you all to try out Viome. It's so cool and it gives you personalized information and resources for your individual health. Order your test on www.viome.com and use code Polina at checkout. That's P-O-L-I-N-A. I can't wait for you guys to get your results. So did Linda keep coaching after um, your success with your career or did she finish?
0: She, um, So she wanted to give me all the attention that I needed. So she actually took her clientele and the people down from – She was. we were splitting our time between Belmont Iceland and Dublin Iceland. She wanted to pare down to just two – two uh, students. So it was myself and Yvonne Gomez uh, who was at the time ranked seventh in senior ladies in, the, in America. and then she decided to represent Spain and became the Spanish uh, national champion and then she would go to the Olympics with me in the same year. So she pared it down to just like Yvonne and I and we would spend you know six hours a day, in Dublin, um, just and we would never have like our own lessons. She would always just coach us both at the same time and watch us both. So it became this really great trio, of, like a training companion that I had because I think everybody needs sort of uh, someone to be there to share, you know, the day with and stuff like that. Um, when I got through my career and I went into professional skating, Yvonne skated for one or two more years, so she stuck with Yvonne. And then uh, she retired from coaching after we were done um, and then took on the role as my manager and agent. So that became a full-time job for her because you remember back in those days, we were like traveling and doing so much stuff professionally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's so cool, actually. It's cool. What is your relationship with her like now? Because I see you obviously with Linda at so many events and everything in the Bay Area, which is still your agent and manager then or...
0: Yeah. She's still my agent and manager. And so, and she just, it's not stuff, you know, it's, it's gone over from, you know, skating and agenting for skating. Um, I mean, there's, you know, not much in that world right now. Uh, so it's gone over to like the food network stuff. So she's my agent for like all those things like the HGTV shows and the food network stuff and all the, uh, cookbooks and all that stuff. So everything, that's in my life, all the tangents that I've gone off into. She is, you know, she's my agent and my manager.
1: That's awesome. Your boy Tano hand in your triple Lutz was so unique in the 80s and you were the first to do that. What was the process like coming up with that hand?
0: It was interesting cause I did, um, I debuted it like when I was, uh, before I was national champion and I did it in Skate Canada one year and I like almost missed the triple Lutz. Uh, so I took it out and I just went back to like regular arms. And then I went away into Boston to train with Evie and Mary Scottfold. And Evie said to me, do you do jumps with your arms over your head? And I said, yeah, I do. And he said, let's see it. And he, and I did one and it was, it was good. He's like, you have to do that. You have to incorporate this because it, what we were trying to do is I wanted every single jump that I did to separate myself from my competition. So everything that I did, I'm like, when I do a triple flip, I'm gonna do a triple toe because nobody was doing triple flip, triple toes. When I do a triple lutz, I have the arm over my head. So everything that I can add difficulty to, I wanted to do that so I, that I could be a step above everybody else when they were you know, doing the regular triple. So you know, you know how like when you learn something and then you leave it alone and then you come back to it, it's like actually stronger. I actually learned the balance of how to get over the toe on the Lutz like with the arm which I wasn't learning how to do when I was first doing it and then it became something that I couldn't I couldn't even do a triple luts without the arm over my head it was just like a totally different yeah.
1: that's so cool how do you feel seeing it become popular in a lot of skating in the last like I want to say five years, it's kind of exploded yeah. everywhere. What do you think? I like that?
0: when people do it well. I really don't like when they don't do it well. And I think that a lot of them use the wrong arm. And for my, in my opinion, I mean, I think it's always should be the left arm if you're jumping to the left. Um, and I don't like, like, you know, when it's bent and just over your head like this, I think people have to work on it being pretty. It's not going to be pretty. I'd rather see people do this, but they kind of swing it and don't get it over their head high enough and stuff. And Um, it's, it's just sort of, it makes the jump messier to me. It's like, it's got to be a position. Um, and so when someone does it really well, I, I love, I love seeing it. I love seeing them do it.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think the quality of the way it looks and the execution of it is super important, uh, rather than that kind of bent arm that a lot of people just kind of throw up there.
0: Yeah. And you kind of use to make a rope to get a rotation. Yeah, exactly. So I, I would just rather see not messy jumps. There's there's just so much different happening in in skating right now that's I mean, I think people are on crash courses to learn things and try to do more difficult, more difficult that they're passing certain milestones or stepping stones that make skating actually really pretty.
1: Exactly. I think the uh, the quantity aspect has really been pushed through and the quality has slowly been being dismantled, which is unfortunate but hopefully people will start to bring that back we'll see (laughs) but yeah when i was younger i actually got advice from you that really stuck with me and that was to practice my triple toe combo on every jump so i could get really used to and comfortable nailing the triple triple combination uh in any jump that i do so, what was your training like before the Olympics? Did you have specific tactics for perfecting your program, similar to the advice that you had given me?
0: Um, yeah, and you know what? I mean, I think that that uh, the triple the triple triples was something that I implemented in my skating. It's like because I did triple flip triple toe, and when I first started doing it, nobody was doing triple triples. I mean, no no guys were doing triple triples. So. I was like, okay, this is ambitious, but, um, I'm like, okay, when I learn this, whenever I do a triple flip, I'm going to put a triple toe. Even if I like, it's a scratchy landing on the, on the triple flip, I am going to pull in a triple toe and go down on it. I'm just like, not going to let myself off of like, just always pulling in a triple toe. So then you get into that mentality of like, and, and actually you can actually do, a. Uh, less of a good landing on the first triple and still pull off the triple toe because you've been doing it and doing it and doing it no matter what kind of landing that you have. So it was actually a good exercise, but for my strategy was that every day was a competition and I got one chance. I was nervous every day because I was such a perfectionist. So when I would do shorts and longs, I would just, I would be nervous for each run through because I knew I only had one chance and I would be such a, stickler for such a perfectionist. If I made one one mistake at all, I would be so hard on myself, like all day long, and um, and so I would get nervous on a daily basis. And so I would pretend like it was competition, and I would pretend like um, I was under the pressure of an Olympic event. And uh, I think that that really helped. I think it really helped because. You know, when you, when you do a run-through, if you go into the rink and you have the flu and you do a run-through and it's a clean run-through, you're like, I know that that's going to stick with me. Because go- when I'm going on the ice at nationals, I know I can do this. I did it with the flu. I did it when I was feeling terrible. In every situation, I know I can do it. And the ice is bad. Anything. It's like all those things build your confidence. So that's basically what my, my theory was just to make every day a comp- But I think that, you know, I think people underestimate the the amount of training mentally that you have to do. I mean, people are worried about doing run-throughs. People are worried about this. My mental training was like, okay, this, I'm at the Olympics. This is, it's it's 6.30 in the morning and I'm going to do a long run-through. And this is the Olympics. The music comes on. I have one chance. I can't stop. It's, I'm at the Olympics. So practice your tools of concentration. So focusing on your breath, relaxing your arms. There were certain things that I had that I practiced on a daily basis so that my focus would be laser focused because when all that stuff at competition is coming at you and you're like noticing all these things and you're scared, not scared, but you know, you're chomping at the bit to get out there. Things can take, take away your focus in a split second. I mean, people underestimate the snowball effect of when you're in a program. It's like your mind can go positive or negative in a split second. You got to prepare for that. And that's the most important thing to prepare for because you and I have both been in programs that you're like, just you're spiraling out of control and you're like, oh my God, it's your mind's going like, oh my God, don't miss this. And then all of a sudden you're off on the wrong track. So I, I think that that was the main, the main focus of my training for the Olympics was sort of mentally because you know by the point that you're going to the Olympics, you're pretty much the skater that you're gonna be, but you've got to put it out there in front of people. And that's the hard part.
1: Absolutely, especially 1988 was notorious for the Battle of Brian's. What was that like? And was it extra pressure going into it, or was it just another competition against the other Brian for you?
0: No, it was it was a whole nother level. Um, And I, what Linda did was something smart. She actually gave a deadline to the press before uh, the event. Said uh, four months before the event he will be doing no interviews so if you want to talk to him you have to talk to him up until four months until he gets to the olympics for press conferences and stuff so i did all my press up until four months before and then i just sequestered myself in the rink and i didn't talk to anyone um you know i think the, the way that I knew that it was gonna be a big deal is it was on the cover of Time Magazine, The Battling Bryans, and I saw it at the newsstand before I was going to, like, to Calgary for the Olympics. And I was like, oh, uh-oh, this is gonna be, this is gonna be a big deal, so I need to not read anything. So, and it's hard, I mean, when you're in the Olympic, you know, I don't know what your situation was, but we were sharing an apartment with four bedrooms so it was literally the whole male team in one apartment. So they're watching TV, they're reading newspaper, they're doing this and I'm wanting to tune out. You know what I mean? And um, it's really, it's really hard to tune out. You've got to actually, you got to really try hard to tune out.
1: It's awesome that Linda did that for you uh, because the stress I feel like would have just been so much higher with all of that hype going on.
0: Yeah. And I think that you know when you talk to journalists their whole idea is to plant ideas in your head that you don't you know you know you don't need to have that like minutiae like stuff inside of your head you just have to focus at the ta- on the task at hand it was a really weird thing paulina because <clears throat> i knew that brian was favored to win um and i knew that i couldn't make a mistake and 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 when I went into the Olympics, I set this goal that was unrealistic. I'm like, I can't make a mistake all week long. I mean, I'm not, I'm not talking just in the events. I'm like, I need to, I need to show the judges during practices that I could be the winner. I knew that I needed to win every practice. And I, I, I probably, I don't think I made a mistake all week. I mean, like on everything. And I'm like, it's really unrealistic for me to set the bar that high but i didn't want to give them any excuse to not choose me and i knew that skating in you know brian's country him being the silver medalist four years before it just it was his turn you know to win and i needed to to take his turn away from him and to do that i needed to add an arm on my triple lutz i needed to do a a triple triple combination i needed to do two triple axles i needed to do two triple flips and and you know and so i was prepared for that and um you know and i met that bar i mean not that everybody would meet that bar but i happened to meet that bar and honestly i think i needed to meet that to win that gold medal that that time
1: well it's it's kind of perfect because it's like the most well-deserved gold medal with that mentality coming in and then you skating you know perfectly that's what every skater should be looking for as a goal in competing at the top and I think some of that gets lost now because there's a lot of politics kind of holding up people when they make mistakes because of you know names and sponsorships and stuff like that uh and so I think there's been a a little bit of lost sight on the mentality that you need to come in and you need to skate perfect to win. Um, and so that's why it's awesome talking to you because you're such a role model for that. You you didn't expect anything like going in other than I need to skate my best and that's the only thing I can do to win, like nothing else. So that's what's on the table. <laughs>
0: but I think that that's, I mean, you can, you can relate to that because you, I mean, you know, when you skate your best, where you're going to fit in. It was like the three guys on my team, Paul Wiley, Christopher Bowman, and me, we were such close guys. We weren't um, fighting against each other because we knew what the slot that we were going to get into. Like, so I was fighting for the top two. Um, Christopher was going to be in the top five and Paul was going to be in the top 10. And we really supported each other. We were very close. We wanted each other to do well. Um, So I think that as as you're going into the event, you sort of know the slot that you could get into. And so um, it's all about the performance because to get into that slot, you have to perform a certain way. I don't know if everyone goes in expecting themselves to skate perfectly. Linda had arranged my program so that it was like, you have to be hitting it 97% of the time in practice to put it in a program. Um, And that's why the year of the Olympics I took, I was doing the quad toe the year before the Olympics. And then I took it out because I wasn't hitting it 90%, 97% of the time. Do what you can do your best so that you have the confidence when you're under pressure and, and know what you can do and have, you know, and know when you're skating out there, you're like, I know this is within my capability.
1: Absolutely. So after the Olympics, you did shows. You were with Champions on Ice, right? The Tom Collins show. Uh, yeah. Was there a reason you chose Champions on Ice rather than Stars on Ice?
0: It's interesting. Well, first, I started with Champions on Ice for two years after uh, the Olympics. And then Katarina Witt and I had our own touring company for three years called Skating, Boitana Witt Skating. So we had a, like, a storyline and we had you know skaters. And actually, Sasha Fedeev was in that show with us. So we did that for three years. And then it was time to sort of choose between Stars on Ice and Champions on Ice. Um, and Tom Collins, who ran Champions on Ice, had been such an amazing role model to me for, for business and for, um, being loyal. He was a very loyal man. And he treated his skaters like they were all stars. And when I was in negotiations with Stars on Ice and Champions on Ice after Boitano, it wasn't gonna happen. Uh, I had a meeting with Tom Collins and it was just, I, it was my home. It was where I, I should have been. and. I'm a very loyal person, and the loyal aspect of Tom Collins and Champions on Ice was the the deciding factor for me.
1: Yeah, I've heard amazing things about Tom Collins and his show, uh, particularly because my coaches Sergey Panmarenko and Marina Klimova were also in Champions, right? So, um, they, me. Exactly. They have so many great stories about that time and it makes me so jealous because I wish we had shows like that. Like, I mean, we I still kind of have stars, but it's not nearly the same anymore as it was back in the 90s and everything.
0: Well, you can imagine what, I mean, we toured with like 40 skaters and he, he spent time with each one. He made everyone feel like they were important. Um, And not just because he paid them a lot. It was just because the way that he treated them and he would treat their families with respect and he would treat, uh, you know, he would just do special things for people, you know, like put their families up in the hotel, like with us. And he, he just had that way of doing things and making you feel really good. Um, And you wanted to perform well for him because it was his show and you wanted it to be successful. So he had just this way and he's responsible for so many people having so many things, you know, and there, I have never met anybody like him and I don't think I will meet anyone like him.
1: It's awesome. He just sounds like such a good person. Ugh.
0: You would have loved him. He was so much fun.
1: <sighs> yeah. So what, other things did you do post career after shows and everything um i know that you became super into cooking and are awesome with cooking and everything so talk about your interest with all of that
0: well it's funny because for so many years i mean i mean professional competitions there were one year there was 13 professional competitions on network television that we could do and we had a world professional championships then so between tv specials touring we had two tours a year champions on ice did a summer tour and a winter tour so we would go to b cities in the winter and then a cities in the summer so between that the professional competitions the uh tv specials i we were skating all year round i mean so it was like you had to construct like time off during your year so that you could like choreograph programs and you know do stuff, you know, that you had to, to do, but we were busy. So, you know, for 15 years, that's, you know, what I was doing. And then I had this opportunity. Um, I met Leanne Miller, the choreographer. Um, her husband uh, used to produce a show for Food Network. And I said, I have a great idea for a Food Network show. So I met with his producer, cause he was a director and we were in New York. When I was on a tour stop and I pitched him on this idea for Food Network and um, my idea for Food Network had to do with me skating and then cooking afterwards. And he said, you know, this is the first time I've met you. You have a great personality. Let's just drop the whole skating thing and do a food focused show from your house. Uh, and you know, and you're the host. And I'm like, well, that's refreshing because most people want to add on the skating. They don't want to subtract the skating. So I'm like, yeah, let's do it. So we filmed a pilot and showed it to Food Network and um, they bought it. And uh, so that was the very beginning of sort of my food. I like to call it like kind of lifestyle because I'm like, I'm, I'm passionate about food, but I'm more passionate about like sort of entertaining, like making sure that Paulina has a drink and she's liking what I'm eating and, you know, I'm serving the right things and everybody's having a good time. It's like that old Italian side of me.
1: You know? It's being a host, being the host person.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's like being a host. You like that too? Do you cook too?
1: I love cooking. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, do you do, uh, do you mix, do you do mixology like drinks and stuff?
1: Yeah. I actually started exploring more cocktails. Um like the last year or so, but I, I got super into going to places like world market and getting floral, um, spirits and stuff like that to make. And so yeah. I love it. Yeah. It's really
0: fun. It's fun. And it's like, um, food is one thing, but usually I don't like to give control over the food in the kitchen to, you know, other people. I like to keep control of that, but it's fun with friends because it, I did a party. Like I just put out like different flavored, simple syrups and different cocktail, uh, like, and there's sort of like a, a a format that you use in putting together a cocktail. And so, but everybody likes to test that out and they like to, you know, test things out and make something, you know, with their favorite flavors. And so it's a really fun thing to do uh, for parties.
1: Yeah, totally. I actually, when I was uh, living with a few roommates uh, last year, we created a little cocktail competition where we each went into our rooms and made our own cocktails and then we went taste testing like room to room and it, it was so fun so i love doing that kind of stuff what's your,
0: what's your favorite fruit flavor
1: fruit i think i like grapefruit yeah for drinks i think grapefruit is really good for drinks
0: oh grapefruit i have a really good grapefruit recipe i do a grapefruit with a rum and then i do a bay leaf simple syrup so you just like put sugar, water, and bay leaves in there and let it steep, and then the grapefruit with the bay leaf and then rum. It's really good with uh, lemon or lime.
1: That's so good. I made like a prosecco vodka drink with rose water that I found at Whole Foods,
0: oh, and yeah. I added you gotta like be
1: careful. oh yeah, <laughs> it's very potent, <laughs> so I had to put only a little bit, and then most of yeah, prosecco. Yeah, it's like one
0: drop. Yeah, <laughs> it like it tastes like a soap bar <laughs>
1: exactly but it tasted really good because i added some rosemary in there too it just had a lot of flavors. Oh, that sounds great yeah.
0: that sounds awesome i love it's that pretty
1: good we'll have to uh, exchange some cocktail recipes
0: yeah for sure
1: uh, but yeah okay final questions um do you follow current skating and what do you think about the trend men's skating is going in right now with all of the quads
0: i do and i um i mean i think it's amazing like I, in that that jump competition that I um, judged. It was, you know, Nathan's just amazing. It's like, and for me, like when I see a skater, um, it's more than just their skating. It's who they are as a person. It's, it just reflects in who they are, you know what I mean? And so um, I just, I love him in all ways. I mean, I like, I I think our American skaters are really good. Um, I do follow skating as much as I can. Uh, I don't think I, I, I haven't followed the female side as much, you know, but I've been watching, I watch when I can. And uh, there's been some like Mikhail Koyada, who's, you know, recently he's, I think he's just incredible. You know, I love our American skaters and I think that they're really good. But if I have to think of, you know, Europeans or um, Russians, it's, um, he 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 really caught my eye just recently. Um, I think it was it what is it? Was it Cup of Russia, right?
1: Ross telecom cup. Yeah.
0: Ross telecom cup. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was it. Yeah. So I try to follow it as much as I can. I mean, I think it's great that the trends are going. Um, I think it's harder for the women just because it's kind of a catch 22. And I know that you've dealt with this in your podcast before, but The girls, the women have to deal with something different when they go through maturity. And guys go through growth spurts and become stronger and more muscular. And women have a whole new body on the other side of it that they have to learn how to adjust with. And it's just a different thing. Because I remember my growth spurt happened when I was 14, my first year in seniors. And I lost, I mean, I struggled to do everything. Um, and I grew four inches that year and, uh, but then it took a year to adjust and then I got stronger. Um, I just think growth spurts are really hard to deal with. And now when you have the tops of the sports being before their growth spurts, um, what happens, what happens to them, you know, after they, they have a growth, you know, it's, it's very hard to deal with. Um, but I don't know, it's like, you know, when, when our sport has always been judged on technical and it always will be, um, even though they try to make other things more important, you know, as important, if you're going to do a quad Lutz and a quad flip and a quad sound toe in a program, you're going to most likely win. Right. So, um, you know, that's just the way it's always been.
1: Yeah, exactly. And with that in mind, there's talk about an age change in both men and women's skating. What do you think about that thing that's happening?
0: Yeah, I mean, either an age change or do, um, I guess the age change is the only way to do it. But um, I think that with women's skating, when we had compulsory figures, it was women, women competing at a high level. And I think that our audiences really like to see women going after a challenge you know it wasn't so much young girls it's there's a different importance to to women when they're focused on a goal and skating um i think that a lot of times you don't think that maybe kids know how important it is or they haven't had enough lifetime behind them to experience you know what um what this means women definitely have gone through enough and they know what <laughs> they know how important it is to attain this goal in their life. Um, so I really miss seeing that part of it. Um, and that being said, I don't take anything away of how amazing uh, these you know, these young girls are at doing quads and stuff like that. But I, I guess I just worry about what happens when they grow, you know?
1: Yeah I totally agree I think it's it's a totally different ball game in the last five years with younger skaters uh, just coming up and we never know what's going to happen to them injury-wise you know throwing their prepubescent bodies into quads so it it is kind of concerning um, and then in terms of viewing women on the ice I do think it's more of a attractive aesthetic for viewers and skating fans in general it's it always was women and to see this shift now it's very different. So, um, it'll be very interesting to see where this goes in the next decade.
0: So I think that, I mean, don't you think the age thing would be good too, right? I, do. I mean, So what, are, what, what are they're talking, talking about raising it to 17 or 18?
1: Yeah, I think it's personally a good idea, which is funny because for me, I went to the Olympics at 15 and I was really small. Um, but with that experience, I know it's completely different. Um, being 15 and the way I skated when I was 15 versus my age now, uh, I'm 22 now, but when I was trying to be competitive, like 20, 20 21, 22, it's, it's completely different. Um, and everyone has their own time, but I think if we're looking at uh, the overall like safety of the sport as well as um, what fans are really looking for, I think raising the age limit to 17, 18 is smart.
0: Yeah, I think that that's good. And you said that everybody has their own time, but I think that in sports, when you start young, you have your, I, I think you have two times. I mean, it's like you have two different bodies. And it's, so it's like a time with one body and then there's a time with your adult body. And it's its a completely different ball game.
1: Exactly. Couldn't have said it better myself, honestly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for talking to me today. That was so awesome. We covered a lot. And yeah, that was fun.
0: Thanks. Next time, next time we'll talk about food.
1: Absolutely. (laughs) I hope you guys enjoyed this podcast episode. Please let me know what you think. Subscribe to my channel. Give me a rating. Give me a review. Follow me on my Instagram. That's where I'm promoting this. My username is at Paulina Edmonds. And stay tuned for my upcoming episodes. Keep an eye out for them. And I can't wait to talk to you guys next week.